We began our study in the Gospel of Matthew a little more than a year ago. I hope that you have enjoyed blessing through this study. There have been a lot of truths that we have um, reviewed, um, a lot of new things to, uh, to discover, and uh, it's been a profitable study for me, so I, I appreciate that. Two weeks ago, Noad preached a passage that ended with the Lord Jesus' exhortation, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a good way to end and start any Bible message. Last week, Jesus characterized his generation by asking the question, to what will I liken this generation? It was um, a people that rejected John the Baptist for being too harsh. They said he has a demon. They rejected the Lord Jesus as being too lenient, a partier, a reveler with the tax collectors and sinners. And uh, uh, they said, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. Um, so they, they faced rejection. Jesus faced rejection. This week, Jesus narrows his focus to three cities where he had done his greatest miracles. And so we're going to read Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. That'll be our study this morning. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. We'll break this down into two sections. We'll look first at Jesus' rebuke of the unrepentant, and um, we'll look at Jesus' warning of the consequences of their rejection. Time permitting, then we'll make application in our lives. Jesus, we look to you for special help this morning in applying the truths of your word, uh, very somber, very sober truths this week, and we trust that you will uh, give us that application. We ask in your name, amen. Jesus rebuked the cities, the unrepentant cities, for their rejection. He began to charge, to criticize, to fault the inhabitants of these cities uh, because of their hardness. If we were to look at a map of the Middle East, we would see, uh, let's place Jerusalem in the center of, uh, of our map. And then if we go perhaps 80 miles to the north, we find the Sea of Galilee. And uh, on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee, we find three cities. We find uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, all within close proximity. Uh, the news that they heard, they shared with, uh, with each other. And uh, these were the three cities where the Lord Jesus did his most marvelous works. What were the marvelous works 
the mighty works that Jesus did. We, um, we read back in the previous chapter um, to uh, John's answer to John's disciples. He said, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. The healings and raising from the dead were, of course, supernatural. Jesus set aside his laws of nature to work these wonders. But what was the purpose? What was the purpose of these uh, miracles? Isaiah prophesied in uh, uh, Isaiah 35, starting at verse 4, he said, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. In these verses, God's prophet Isaiah predicted the coming of Messiah, and he offered proofs of, um, of the coming one, of uh, God's anointed. They weren't just miracles to help the helpless. They weren't merely to show God's love for his creatures. The miracles served to authenticate or to prove the doer of them as the appointed Messiah. These mighty works were demonstrations of the power of God. The apostle Peter would later preach in Acts 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or proven by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So um, Peter's saying here, God authenticated, God proved uh, who Jesus is by, uh, by his miracles. He is Messiah. He is the anointed. He is the Christ, the, um, the coming one. And so um, to have these wonders done in your town was a tremendous privilege. They were, um, the residents of these towns were uh, observers. Messiah carefully displayed his credentials to the Jewish nation, but in a special way to these three cities. The creator revealed himself to his creatures, the redeemer to sinners, the soul's physician to the breathing dead. The residents of these three cities were, in effect, front row observers of the Lord Jesus' revelation to them. They had the best view of the Lord Jesus' miracles. With privilege comes responsibility. In Luke we read, Everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So we come to expect more from these cities than of even Israel. We, um, we have great uh, expectations from them. 
The Lord Jesus expected, he required repentance, and he expected that. That was reasonable uh, for them. But the cities did not repent. What is repentance? It's not penance. Some cults would teach that uh, we must punish ourselves for having done wrong. And this is what they call repentance. It's, uh, it's penance, and there's no place, in it, uh, place for it in Scripture. Some teach that um, repentance is remorse or guilt. Um, they feel or express sincere regret about one's wrongdoing or sin. But, you know, honestly, I can feel guilty for something without having the resolve to stop doing it. So guilt is not repentance. Repentance is a change of heart towards sin, the world, and God. It's an interchange that gives rise to new ways of living that exalt Christ and give evidence of the truth of the gospel. If you were to reduce this definition to uh, its bare simplicity, we would say repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. John the Baptist preached repentance. In those, uh, reading from Matthew 3, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Then we find... Um, Right in addition to that, the Lord Jesus preaching repentance. This in Matthew 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon, upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One note here before we, um, before we go on is that uh, Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. We, we read in um, Matthew 4, 13 that he left Nazareth and he came and dwelt in Capernaum. What a privilege. What, a, um, uh, what an advantage to have the Lord in your town as the, the residents of Capernaum had. Well, what examples do we see of repentance in Scripture? There are some dramatic ones. Um, just for example, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, the Lord found, um, um, singled out Zacchaeus in the tree, and he said, uh, today I will come and dine with you. And in that dinner, uh, Zacchaeus had a change of heart uh, toward the Lord Jesus, and he 
uh, stood and said to the Lord in Luke 19, 8, Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. That is repentance. Another example is uh, the thief on the cross. Here was a man who was um, guilty of uh, violence, and he, um, he and the other thief on the cross were reviling the Lord. They were saying, uh, they were blaspheming, they were saying uh, wretched things about the Lord, and um, perhaps following a silence, a great silence, this man uh, had a change of heart. And uh, he broke the silence by rebuking his, the other thief uh, crucified and asking Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. What a, what a repentance uh, that thief showed on the cross. The townspeople um, that Jesus is, is addressing in this Scripture rejected him, and he told a parable in answer to the chief priests and the elders uh, who questioned his authority. And uh, it'll sound familiar because um, David quoted this parable last week. It's, um, it's an, a very apt, very appropriate picture of what happened in Matthew 21, verse 33. There was a certain landowner picturing God, who planted a vineyard that pictures Israel and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers, whom we know to be these uh, chief priests, and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants, those would uh, picture the prophets of the Old Testament, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that he that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son, we know to be the Lord Jesus. He sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. We see in very stark terms the rejection of these uh, religious leaders to the Lord's reign. In fact, um, we read in Luke 19, 14, that the citizens of the, uh, the, the ruler said, we will not have this man reign over us. So it was pervasive. It was, um, it was through, throughout Israel. And it wasn't something new. It wasn't something that um, just dawned upon them in Jesus' day. But um, they, uh, they killed the prophets. They um, categorically, um, systematically killed the, uh, the Lord's prophets who came to prophesy. Um, and it's startling, really, in its brutality, uh, their treatment of God's workers. So 
that is, um, is rejection. That's rejection of Messiah. What would large-scale repentance look like on a, um, a wholesale repentance, the repentance of a whole town like Capernaum? Do we have any examples in Scripture where a whole city turned to the Lord? Yes, we do. About 760 B.C., uh, there was a town, uh, there was a city, a pagan city called Nineveh. And uh, we read here in Jonah 3, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. And Jonah uh, began to enter the city on the first day's walk. The Lord had commissioned Jonah to, to preach against it. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his, his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh. Skipping down to verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will relent, turn and relent, and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Here's repentance um, by an entire city. The Ninevites believed God, they proclaimed a fast, they put on sackcloth and sat in ashes as um, a real symbol of affliction and mourning. God saw their works and relented of the overthrow of the city. As God enables, we will hear more about Nineveh in, uh, in the weeks ahead because the Lord Jesus addresses them in Matthew 12. The cities, however, in which the Lord Jesus did most of his mighty works, being first front row witnesses of his power, did not repent. The residents were unmoved, unconcerned. They were hardened to any spiritual sensibility. And so in, um, in verse 21, the Lord warns, the unrepentant of the consequences of their rejection. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. We could translate this way. How miserable are you, Chorazin. Be full of grief, Bethsaida. If only you would consider your end. These cities were privileged they had a special benefit, an advantage over others that, um, that they, others did not have. What were some of those privileges? They were the Lord's mighty works. In Bethsaida, Jesus healed the blind man. Uh, granted, uh, it was privately. It was not uh, public. But um, then we read in Luke 9, um, verses 10 through 17, that the Lord Jesus fed 5,000 with um, 
five loaves and two fishes. He multiplied the food and, uh, and gave them to 5,000. This would be hard to keep private. Uh, this was a very public uh, event. And so the people of Bethsaida were privileged to, uh, to be a part of that, actually. Another advantage is that the Lord Jesus chose three of his disciples from Bethsaida. There was Philip and Andrew and Peter. We read in John 1. These townspeople should have followed these disciples' example. But there's a lesson here for us in the choosing of Philip, Andrew, and Peter. And the lesson is that neither miracles nor godly heritage can substitute for repentance and faith. Perhaps you have uh, talked to someone um, giving them the gospel and uh, warning them of judgment and the person responded, my uncle is a priest, so we're okay. My, um, my grandfather was a minister and so we have, uh, we have no need, we're in. Godly friends and family are not salvation. Each must know the Lord Jesus personally. So uh, through these um, privileges, news of the Lord Jesus' miracles spread, uh, repentance and faith did not. On the contrary, uh, the Lord Jesus said in uh, verse 21, for if the works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. We saw that uh, dramatic repentance in Nineveh, sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon. Who were Tyre and Sidon? Well, <clears throat> they were idolatrous cities. They were uh, on the same, um, uh, about the same location as, uh, as Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, but they were on the coast. They were further west a little bit. The prophets uh, prophesied against Tyre because of their idolatry. If it had been one prophet, we would have said, you know, there's a real problem in Tyre um, because of their, um, their rejection, uh, their, um, their idolatry. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Zechariah prophesied against Tyre for the, um, for, the, for their practices. What about Sidon? Do we expect any different from Sidon? They worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth. Solomon would be influenced by Sidonian cults. We read in 1 Kings 11. Generations later, Ahab married Jezebel, and uh, Jezebel was from Sidon. She introduced Israel to Canaanite cults, which were a, um, uh, a dreadful weight um, for Israel, that in 1 Kings 16. And yet, Jesus said that even these idolatrous cities would be more receptive of him than his own people. Interestingly, the residents of Tyre and Sidon didn't speak Hebrew, neither did Nineveh. 
the Lord were, warned Ezekiel in this regard. He said, you were not sent to a, a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. God sent Ezekiel not to Tyre and Sidon, not to Nineveh, but he sent Ezekiel to Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Israel has a heritage of hard-heartedness dating back 600 years to Ezekiel. The Lord Jesus said, But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. The Lord Jesus looked beyond his, um, his arrest and his mock trial, his crucifixion, his death at Calvary, his resurrection, he looked beyond the tribulation and beyond his 1,000-year uh, reign to the great white throne, judgment. And Jesus could see these people at his judgment. Psalm 96, 13 reads, He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And he said of that judgment that it would be less unbearable for Tyre and Sidon than for Chorazin and Bethsaida. Why? Because Chorazin and Bethsaida occupied places of privilege. The rejection of the revealed Messiah is greater than the offense of breaking his law. Tyre and Sidon sinned against the law. Chorazin and Bethsaida sinned against the gospel. Tyre and Sidon sinned in darkness, in ignorance, Chorazin and Bethsaida against the light. Are there degrees of punishment in hell? The Lord Jesus indicated so, just as there are degrees of reward in heaven. One of the aggravations of the severer punishment is the memory of all the privileges that I had. For the... Um, Residents of Capernaum and uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida, they were the temple, the ark, the priesthood, the leadership of godly kings. These were things that the pagans did not have. What about Capernaum? We, uh, we heard about Chorazin and Bethsaida in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven. How? How was Capernaum exalted to heaven? One commentator suggested that perhaps it was pride. It was the pride of the uh, residents of Capernaum. The sin of Lucifer. We read in Isaiah 14, listen carefully to the similarities. You have heard in your heart I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Yes, the similarities are very close, but um, this commentator and others that I read agreed that the exaltation of Capernaum really refers to, again, this tremendous advantage that they enjoyed by the Lord's mighty works. Okay, so what were the mighty works in Capernaum? Matthew 8, um, the healing of the centurion's servant, Matthew 8, 5. Uh, Matthew 8, 14, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, if that weren't public enough, there was um, in Mark 2, verse 1, the healing of the paralytic. And Matthew tells us that the multitude saw it. And then in Mark 1, there was the deliverance of the demon-possessed man from uh, legion. And the, uh, the comment on that healing, on that deliverance, was with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his, his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Israel was a nation of special privilege. Capernaum was the focus of the Lord's mighty works. But Capernaum's response was... Um, Tragically, like that of Chorazin and Bethsaida, they cast off their privilege as something vile and useless. They despised the Lord's grace. The residents of Capernaum were smug. What is smug? It means self-satisfied. They were unconcerned. They were uncaring. They were insensible. They were unconvinced of the danger of judgment. Why should we go to a physician if we're not sick? Bill McDonald related the story of traveling on a bus or train in Boston. And he was witnessing to a woman who listened up to a point and then she cut him off. She said, Mr. This is Boston. So much to say, we're too sophisticated for talk of sin and judgment and hell. We're a dignified society. As if to say, why not take your gospel to the bums and the prostitutes in town? That seemed to be the attitude of Jesus' day. Mister, this is Capernaum. We have no time or need for Messiah. Perhaps we hear from our friends, Mr. This is Fremont or San Francisco. Some had expectations of Messiah and Jesus did not meet their expectations. It's better to come to Jesus with a heart full of brokenness and faith than with fistfuls of objections. I'd like to make the gospel very clear to those today who make repentance and faith much more complicated than it ever was intended to be. 
and I've chosen a wordless book. Some of you have heard of the, um, the wordless book. And uh, this is a book uh, of the gospel, and it's um, not even pictures, it's colors. The first is gold. And uh, it, uh, it reminds us of heaven. God loves the world. He loves sinners. He loves you, and he wants us to be with him in glory in heaven. But there's a problem. That problem is sin. Sin blocks us from God's best, from his desire. In Isaiah we read, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And um, in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a problem and that problem is sin. God offers a solution. We worship the Lord this morning for his finished work on the cross even to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The red stands for the blood of Jesus that washes us from our sins. <coughs> so then we enjoy the righteousness of God, the white representing his purity, his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him so that now we can enjoy the, um, the glories of heaven. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. To which... Um, we could add green representing growth. God's desire for his believers now is that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I beg you on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in him. He has done all that's needed for your salvation. He makes it very plain that even a child can understand. Even a simpleton can understand. We have no excuse for not trusting him. Jesus said in verse 24, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Sodom was the notorious capital of homosexuality. It's an astounding claim that if Jesus had done his mighty works in that perverse town of Sodom, that they would have repented and that Sodom would remain uh, in his day. As it was for Chorazin and Bethsaida, the rejection of the revealed Messiah is more a, grie a more grievous offense than the sins against his holiness. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for 
the unrepentant in Capernaum. These are somber words. These are serious, uh, severe words of our Lord Jesus. But he is not yet finished with Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. After this stern rebuke, he extends his grace to them still, as we will see in the next part of our chapter. So please be back next week for that. What application should we make from today's scripture? We in the Western world, especially like the citizens of these three cities, are an advantaged, privileged, blessed, benefited people. And our privileges extend far beyond those even of Capernaum. We have what they don't have. We have a completed Bible. The canon of scripture is is finished. It's complete. We have the Bible in different languages. We have the Bible in English in more versions than I can count. We have the Bible read on the radio. We have it available on the internet. We have teaching, sound Bible teaching on uh, the internet. We have the testimony of a risen Savior. We have the Holy Spirit uh, giving us understanding in his word. But as believers, we should realize that our privilege comes with responsibility and high expectations. This realization should give our lives a fervor and a seriousness. For those who do not know the Lord Jesus, simple application of today's message is repent and believe, trust him. Messiah has come and Messiah will come again. In Acts 17, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Don't think, do not think that you can reject the Messiah and not be miserable. Let's pray. We thank you for uh, tough words, for severe words, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you did not withhold the truth from us, but uh, tell us and warn us. We, um, we pray that we might walk with a new uh, vitality and seriousness as we go through uh, Fremont and uh, San Francisco. And um, we, uh, we pray for those who do not yet know you that they would turn to you in, in true repentance. We ask, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.